Hey everybody, welcome back to America's Game, episode number 7. We are back once again. It is me, your host, Eric Vanek. You can find me on Twitter, at NFL, And my co-host, once again, Scott Connor. How's it going, Scott? What up, E? Glad to be back another week. Less than two weeks from the season. I'm about to the point where I'm ready for it to start. Last preseason week's always rough, but glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I still haven't got us fucking canceled yet, so that's always good. Always uh, nice to get another episode in. A little closer right after that comment. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. I'm getting to just towing the line a little bit. But uh, no, man, I'm excited. We got our very first guest here on America's Game. I, I teased it on Twitter earlier uh, this morning. We got a former collegiate athlete on our hands. Uh, big get for the show. Uh, the pride of Shadron State. Ray Garvin has joined us. What's going on, Ray? I mean, you definitely boosted that. Yes, I did play a little college ball, but it's not like you had on like Reggie Bush or Maurice Claret or somebody good like that. I mean, I'm just I'm a low level athlete here, man. Low level D2 athlete. But uh, two of my favorite people, man, I mean that sincerely. I know there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this episode. And when I say that you two are two of the best dynasty strategists, dynasty minds that I know. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that as BS. Uh, Scott and Eric, two people in this dynasty space that I respect tremendously. So excited to be here on the show. And Scott, we're not going to cancel E yet. We're not going to cancel him yet soon. We'll give him a couple of more, give him a couple more episodes. We ain't going to cancel him yet, but excited to be here. And I'm, I'm with you, Scott. I'm ready for the damn football season to start. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm ready for it too, man. Getting closer, getting into like redraft season now, like your home leagues and stuff are getting ready to do drafts. I already did one uh, last Sunday, so got that out of the way. Got a couple more still to go. So yeah, we're definitely getting closer, man. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, year 16 in my home league that uh, I've never won. So they continually give me shit every year, year after year after year. And I don't know. It's always pressure for me because I'm I know the I know the dominant strategy to beat this format, but it's never actually won for me. So maybe I have to go against the grain. Even, even I invited my dad into it five years ago. He's won it damn twice now, and he uh, he always comes to me and he's like, "Hey, what should I do?" You know. So I've like helped him draft ever since he joined. Yet he's won twice and I've never won. So and you can't yeah, win I, the I'm damn thing in in sixteen years. You feel like you're like the. Uh... Man, your your drought is as long as my Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl drought, man. You're getting up there. That's not good. That's not good. It, Ray, it's one of those, you know, 10 teams start nines. You know what I mean? It's just like I, I can't convince them that it's how much luck goes into winning those types of leagues when it's so shallow. I'm like, I do everything right. I mean, I finished second four times. I finished top four like eight times. You know, it's just – Never cutting down the nets. But yeah, it's one of those where it's just like, I'm not sure what else I can do other than just follow the process. But we'll see. This is a new year. Yeah, I'm the same way in my home league. I've been in it, God, I don't even know how long now, 10, 15 years, probably the same thing. Can't win it. Been trying for years and years. Always get fucked with injuries or, or whatnot. So just going to go out there, draft it again, see what happens. And, you know, never know. Well, hopefully we give the people some information in this episode where they can go win their leagues um, this season or, or deploy some new strategies uh, uh, in their leagues. So I'm excited for this episode, excited for the show, boys. 
Yeah, I'll make sure I go back to them and report that uh, next year we need to do a USFFL style auction for this league. And they'll look at me like with eight eyes. What the hell is that? So, yeah, that's the that's one of the other problems is there's no way. I mean, we can get as creative in some of our home leagues as we can in some of these others. So, yeah, this should be a good discussion for sure. For sure, man. Um, but what I wanted to start off here, Ray, is I want to talk about your new adventure that you're on with TDN, man. Um, pretty cool. I've been listening to them for a couple of years now on, on my podcast rotation. I know Scott's listened to them for a few years, too. Um, so I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about what you're doing at TDN, man. Yeah, man, uh, started with the draft network now a couple of months ago, and uh, it was a decision that took a, it took me a while to get there, man. I had actually been chatting it up with the CEO, Paige DeMacos, for over a year. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, just the quality of work that they put out is top notch, which is important to me. Um, organizationally, they do a good job with how they go about their process and their process is talent evaluation. They do what most people in fantasy love is draft. And they draft, they do the draft better than just about everybody out there. And um, being able to come together with a collection of minds as talented as, as that team over there, man, they, they're meeting daily, y'all. Every day, there's an hour, hour and a half meetings where we're just talking about players, talking about film. And I think there's a missing element in fantasy football, especially in Dynasty. Um, redraft a little bit as well, but m mainly in Dynasty that there's a disconnect between the fantasy space and the actual NFL draft community. Like, we're not up here looking at offensive lines. We're not worried about coaching changes and schemes. Like, we talk about those things from a very 10,000-foot level, but once you're really diving into the nitty-gritty on – you know, why Najee Harris could struggle this year and some pitfalls with that Pittsburgh offensive line and the coaching changes and Matt Canada. And you're talking about Kevin Stefanski and what the, like they dive into all of the nuances of football, which I love. Right. And while offensive line and scheme and formation changes and uh, personnel groupings don't directly impact fantasy football success or failure, it definitely influences it, man. And I think I think the more you know about those things, the more you can just apply it, right? Like you're just like, okay, I'm in between Austin Eckler and Najee Harris, right? And you're, you're talking about this year, just this year, which player would you rather have? Um, and, 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 and maybe they're not close enough, but get two comparable players. But then one player has a complete overhaul at, at, with their offensive coordinator. The offensive line is is decimated or revamped. Like the more you know about the team, um, the better prepared you can be to make those decisions, whether you're on the clock or building. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Ray. You're, uh, you know, you're somebody that has grown a ton in this space. I mean, I, no joke. I, I remember you back on. I'll never forget. I brought this up on a couple pods before, but I'll never forget. I remember us debating uh, quarterbacks back on the Flock Network like four years ago. And it was right when you were just getting started. It was right when you came in. And I, I don't, we didn't even know each other back then, but we both kind of ran in some of the same places. And you've gone through so many different progressions in different places. But to see you show up at the Draft Network, I'm like, that to me, that legitimized somebody that has not only come from like, obviously, you used to play, and I know you're big into Dynasty, but you've evolved so much as an analyst. To the point where, like, I, I look at you and I'm like, dude, you're you're somebody I want to just 
talk strategy with. You know what I mean? It's like, like you're right up there. Like you're one of the first people I go to, like, I just want to chop it up and talk strategy. And there's not a lot of people that kind of get to that space for me, but then to see you show up with the draft network, it's like, that's a very interesting hire for me. So I, I guess that would be, that was my first thing when I, I saw you went there was, I mean, I could, without being blunt, I say, you know what, what do you think you're a niche hire for them in terms of like, you bring something different that I've never heard on the draft network before. And for you to show up there, I'm like, wow, that's the whole well, space evolving. It's not just you going there, but it's like right. them kind of branching into our type of analysis, which is awesome first. I mean, talk about that. Talk about just how you fit in. Well, I think it's, that shows the growth of fantasy football, Scott, that they realize yeah. This is an important aspect of the NFL now, for better or worse. You know, Scott, you've been doing this longer than than all of us as, as a content creator. But there was a point in time when we were just nerdy fantasy football guys that didn't know shit about football, right? That didn't know anything. You're just nerds playing a proxy for a game. Just it means nothing. But I think it just shows the evolution of how far the fantasy space has come and how much it, it's it's a part of the game now. You know, I'm sure if you put a poll out there, when people are watching the NFL on Sundays, they're they've got their phone in their other hand, a beer in one hand, the phone in the other, and they're checking their fantasy team, right? They're checking their rosters, they're checking their scores, and I think it's an evolution of the draft network that they identify how big fantasy football is in this space, and they said we got to get somebody, right? And I just so happen to be, uh, you know, on the top of their list. But as much as it's cool that they took the the chance on somebody different. I think it just shows how awesome the fantasy space is growing. I think Matthew Barry being on NBC is huge for the entire fantasy football space, regardless of what you think about his analysis or any of that. When they go to halftime and Matthew Barry's talking about Ezekiel Elliott and he's talking about where to draft Zeke this year in fantasy football, that is a tide that has raised all of our ships, right? This show, Destination Debbie, Dynasty and Chill, it legitimized everything that we do. And I think there's some things that the NFL people can learn from the fantasy guys because there's some metrics and data that that we've identified where I sit back in some of those TDN meetings and be like, ooh, yeah, that might be a good player, but this ain't the guy that you want to bet on long-term for NFL success. So I just honestly think it just shows how far the game has come, uh, the NFL game and the fantasy space, and it's good for everybody. Yeah, I mean, for sure, man. All that stuff, you know, with, with Matthew Barry and all that, that's huge for, for the industry, like you said, man. I'm excited to see what more content that he puts out there for us. Um, that's going to be awesome to see what, what more comes from that, especially like on the Sunday night games, man. He'll be there at halftime talking about it and stuff, man. That's going to definitely boost fantasy a lot. But um, one thing I wanted to ask too, Ray, was, you know, you talked about being in the meetings there with everybody. What's one thing that you've learned pretty quickly or, or the most that you've picked up from those meetings so far with everybody doing the scouting meetings? Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned is we all still have so much to learn, right? I think that's what I've learned is, you know, yeah, I've, I've I've played the game, but I'm pretty sure if you interview any former college player, I don't care what the sport is, football, basketball, baseball, doesn't matter. Like, when you're done playing, 
you like the last thing you want to do is fucking watch film. It's the last thing you want to do because when you're actually playing and you played a Saturday night game and the coach is like, all right, we got film at 7 a.m. on Sunday. It's not fun. You're not in there watching for fun. It's long. It's boring. And you lose some of those intricate details, right? I played cornerback. And sometimes I'm watching. I'm like, I don't know what coverage this is. Like, I have no clue what's going on right now. But there are so many sharp people in those meetings. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, listening to how, you know, we sit back as fantasy gamers. And, you know, we we had this conversation in the Discord, just how excited we are about Jackson Smith and Jigba or a CJ Stroud. And you get in those meetings and you listen to them and they're like, look at this. Look at this. Look at that. Here's why I'm not all the way sold on this person being the top rated quarterback or the top rated running back. And the one thing that sold me with TDN more than any other site that I've worked for is the intimate level of access that they have with players. I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they got interviews with everybody. Bijan Robinson, they're, they're at the passing academies with the draft network logo. And there's Caleb Williams and CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and, you know, the CEO's like, I'm going to text Bryce right now and tell him what everybody's talking shit about him during this film session, right? Like, it's having that access to be around those players that uh, very few people in the fantasy space get that level of access, right? To talk to them, to interview them, to say, what were you thinking? You know, what are things that you need to improve on to, to just see them in person and get a feel for who they are as people? And I, I haven't found outside of NFL Network and ESPN, who get anybody and everybody, but just in our kind of space, there's nobody that has the level of access to these guys. And they do what we love in fantasy. It's it's just draft. It's prospects. It's evaluation. That's, you know, outside of constructing and managing your roster, the funnest part of this thing is the draft and prospect and talent evaluation. So I've just learned that there's still a ton for me to learn and it's a hell of a group of of men and women that I get to to learn from every day. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because in in dynasty, especially, but even in fantasy, a lot of what we do is we're taking shortcuts, trying to get to outcomes as quick as possible. Like that's a lot of what we talk about is how how can we kind of eliminate the first. 80% of the race, but then get to the outcomes. Once players get to the NFL, once they get to a place where, you know, first of all, most fantasy leagues already eliminate 70% of the players because of the positions, but then we're also eliminating 70% or more of the players that play the positions we need for fantasy, because really, you know, we're only starting nine, 10, 11 players in a lot of leagues too. So it's like, we're dealing with a fraction of the entire league. If you look at how many players are in the league compared to how many are fantasy relevant, it's super, super slim. So we're already trying to get to, okay, we care a lot more about, can this player put up, can he earn a hundred plus targets and catch 80 balls? And it, if he's below that threshold, it kind of doesn't matter where he is below and to that level. You know what I mean? But from a draft perspective, we're going like, there's a lot in between there. There's a lot between that goes from like an undrafted player to a guy that's a third round pick, but he still might not be fantasy relevant. But I think as the fantasy space evolves, I mean, just, and I've played the last couple of years, the difference in the people playing against me, their process is so different now that my, one of my fears is we get to the dynasty space in two or three years and damn near everybody's playing with, a math formula 
everybody has a process. And it's like, if you're out there trying to say, oh, I can just watch players on highlights and figure out who the best ones are for fantasy, you're going to be so far behind, you're going to be out of you're You lost all your money, quite frankly. Yep. So it's like, now that everyone's playing with a process, being able to integrate some of the information that you gleam away from the meetings and whatnot, that that's just almost like a cherry on top in the fantasy community because it's a, it's a way for us to really decipher on a lot of 50-50 decisions. I mean, wouldn't you guys say a lot of fantasy decisions come down to yeah. 60-40, 55-45, you know? Like, there's not a lot of margin if you're right about everything, it's not like you have a better hit rate than half the people in your league. You might be 5% better, but a lot of that's just nuances and, and small details that you can use as tiebreakers. So it's just interesting that it's starting to integrate like that. Well, hundred percent. I mean, you know, you look back at this draft class and, you know, if, if I were privy to the information and, you know, all things considered equal, right. That similar draft capital, the production profiles are similar, you know, the film looks about the same, but if I told you, you know, one player, you know, goes to, you know, every time we showed up, this dude was locked in, he was focused, he was, he was, he was focused on the task at hand, like all business. And the other guy was late to meetings, um, you know, was dicking around out there during the camp, which I'm not going to say names, but there are a couple of players that we value pretty high in 2023, where they're just like that. They're both projected to be very high picks and, you know, supposed to be the top of the class. And one of them seems to be all business. And the other one is just kind of, you know, lackadaisical, happy go lucky. Like if I'm on the clock, I remember those things. I'm not saying that's going to be the reason why I select one player over the other, but maybe if I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to bet on this kid. Like I saw, I, I see it every time I saw him or we talked to him, he was locked in and it was all business and he's treating this like a job. And the other kid, you know, we, they're privy to information that we don't have right there. There's, there's stories. I told stories about uh, a buddy of mine that played at Baylor and played with Josh Gordon. And, you know, I, I'm glad Josh got his opportunity, but the, the story was he didn't do shit. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's falling asleep at Taco Bell drive throughs because of whatever reason. And he didn't go, he didn't show up to practice always late. Like, you know, he's just, he's athletically superior than everybody else. So that allows him to go out there and just ball, but never put in the work. And what happened? You got that one great season out of Josh Gordon. And then everybody was just chasing, you know, the production of, of yesteryear's past with this kid that, you know, just didn't really have it all the way upstairs, man, for, for whatever reason. So it's, it's having access to that and, applying it to certain degree uh, for our processes in fantasy. Yeah, there's, this is a, Oh, go ahead, Scott. No, I was just going to ask, this is kind of a, just a real quick follow-up question for Ray. It's kind of a loaded follow-up question, but it also seems like the way the NFL media works too, is once a guy gets to the NFL, uh, there's not a lot of incentive for that type of stuff to really be discussed in the mainstream media either. You know what I mean? So like yep. you, that stuff stays with you, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily make sense for a beat reporter for the team that drafts this player to start digging that stuff up once he's on the team. You know, you know a when lot you of hear about it, you know, when you hear about it, Scott, after the player's been cut or after the player's been arrested or after the player's been suspended, then all of the stuff, Darius guys, look at all the shit that he did at LSU. 
You know, uh, now it comes out after the fact, right? After the offense has been committed, then all the old stuff starts to surface. It's if you knew that beforehand, again, I'm not saying in 20, what was that? The 2018 draft was Darius guys, or I'm not saying you wouldn't have drafted him. Right. But maybe you're thinking like, you know, do I want to spend my 102 on a kid that I know is probably not committed to the game or has got a lot of other things going on in his life? And, you know, it's a double edged sword. Sometimes people grow and mature and they get better and they improve. But again, it's that when you're 50 50, when you're tossing a coin, when you're trying to make that decision, Peter Howard said this to me a long time ago and I use it to this day and I'll never forget it. He said, whether you're film, whether you're analytics, whether you're an insider, whether you're an outsider, all we're trying to do is take in as much information possible to paint the most complete picture we possibly can, knowing that there's no way we're going to get a Mona Lisa. Like we're just we're just trying to take everything we have, analytics, data, film, uh, uh, noise, and try to factor that into decisions that we make when we press that button and we're going to rock with that guy. So given that, when you hear negative stuff on players from their own beat reporters, like in training camp or preseason, do you, and I'll, I'll ask Eric this too. Do you guys buy more into like they're literally a, a beat writer for a team's literally out there dogging a player all preseason for it to get to where he's reporting it. There's probably a whole lot more behind it that hasn't been said. Like, do you, do you think the negative stuff that you hear right now, actually we should maybe take a little more seriously and act on for dynasty? Yeah, I mean, we, when we listen to um, the Football Guys podcast and Cecil Lammy gives you some what he calls lassie barks about, you know, Denver players. You know, I, I take a lot more, you know, I take that a lot more serious than, you know, I do some random Joe, you know, coming out with Bronco stuff or, you know, Kenny Galladay right now. He, you know, read about stuff about him too. Same thing. You know, I'm taking those with a bigger grain of salt than I would others. So, yeah, definitely I'm taking, you know, the info from that. Ray, and what again, do you think? Uh, I, hell yeah, I'm taking it in. Again, those those reports or the, that reporting is not going – that's not going to be the reason why I draft a player, right? But it could be a reason why I don't. And – you know, a lot of times some people say it's easier to find the players to avoid than it is to find the players to that hit, right? Like let's let's try to eliminate what you don't want out of a player or a prospect. And 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 ultimately I, I would rather the beat it's funny, man, because you say that the beat reporters have no incentive to dog a guy. And majority of the time, all the thing he's at he's having the best camp of his life. He's he's killing it. But when I hear it's been rough. This player hasn't been performed. That's that's telling, man. That's very telling. Because in order to get access, that level of access to those players, like you got to be close to them, and 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 you got to be a friend of the team and not an adversary of the team. So I, I take it into consideration. Good stuff. Yeah, I think the uh, you always hear that a lot. That the positive you can almost ignore, but the negative. It, if you were just acted on a lot of the negative that was legit negative that you're hearing from multiple people over multiple days, probably we should take that more seriously. Cause there's always people out there that are going off, oh, you know, I, Antonio Gibson, I, it, it all just has to be fake. It can't, he, he has to be that guy we thought he was last year. And I'm, I'm okay buying in to an extent, 
but at some point, when does it stop to where you're like, all right, if I can go out and just find that guy that goes, none of this is even happening. It's just in flat out denial. That's when you act the other way. So it's just an interesting thought that sometimes we probably should take the negative into more. I think it matters, man. I, I think the negative to a certain degree, it matters. And you can't just put the blinders on and ignore it. Right. Because what we like to do is we elevate the positive, right? And you want people to react affirmatively to the positive news but when the negative stuff starts to come you know and antonio gibson is a great case study of this a great one because from the moment the season ended the washington commanders have continued to give us information leading to believe that he's probably not their guy right at least not the guy for them and all we did is fantasy community dynasty fantasy said nope no way Look how big he is. Look how explosive he is. Look, you don't find freaks like that. And all they've done every step of the way is say, he ain't carrying the ball like he did before. We don't trust him. And all we've done is, nope, nope, nope. And now look at us. He's a start. He's battling for a kick return spot. And now those Antonio Gibson shares are just, I mean, what do you do now? You know, we ignored all the negative and tried to find little bits of gl- tried to tell ourselves a story like we're like like we're telling our kids a lie the easter bunny the the, the goddamn santa claus and now that the reality has slapped us in the face that man like you know maybe i should have maybe i should have liquidated a few of those shares throughout the offseason just to just to protect myself a little bit for for Brian Robinson for JD McKissick or inevitably for Antonio Gibson not performing which has led him to the spot that he is right now And that brings me to my next point about drafting good players. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about your podcast over there because I don't, you know, some of the Destination Devi members that listen to this might not know, hey, Ray's got another podcast going on now. So I just wanted you to tell us a little about the Drafting Good Players podcast that you got going on over at TDN with Keith Sanchez. I've listened to it since um, it came out. It's been good. It's not just you on there. There's some other guys yeah. that are going to be coming on and stuff that have great info as well. Uh, enjoyed listening to um, Kyle talk about Miami, that he's so locked in with Miami stuff. That's always something I listen for. You know, he's, t- he's talked about Gusecki and, and the other guys and st- stuff like that. But no, just t- tell us a little about that podcast, what you guys are wanting to do over there with it. And and you another reason why I just love TD that type of access, man. Like you know, Brooke Cromer, her father's the offensive line coach for the Buffalo Bills. Like that level of access. There's an interview right now with Joe Marino, Brooke Cromer, and Aaron Crow, Eric Cromer, the the coach Cromer, the O line coach for the Buffalo Bills, talking about their scheme and Josh Allen and James Cook and Kyle Krabs tapped in with the Dolphins. Like the level of access that that has been acquired, you know, joining up with TDN. It's just expanded my knowledge so much further. Um, in the podcast with Keith Sanchez, shout out to, to, to my uh, co-host Keith. Uh, Keith coached at LSU 2019 when they won the national championship. He got to see Joe Burrow every day and Jamar Chase every day, Justin Jefferson and Clyde, all those guys. He was there in the building, recruited them, coached them, saw how they work. So, that's a different podcast. Like it's where you're never going to get on that and hear, 
dominator rating, market share, my dynasty ranks, rookie. We're not talking. We're just talking about players. Like, is this dude a guy? Like, is is, is at the at the grassroots and the fundamental aspect of what we do is we need these fucking guys to be good players. I don't care how good their market share or their profile is. If they're not good, we've seen it every year, man. We can go through the list of first-round picks that we've drafted high that they're just not good players, right? I'm known for the Jalen Rager one, right? Jalen Rager, draft capital. The profile was there, analytics. But they were all, and it's funny because I went back and looked at their scouting report, and every last one of them was like, he's just positionless. Like, he's, he's a good athlete, can't win outside, struggles against physicality. I struggle to see where he's going to make a name for himself in the league. Like, those were the scouting reports on, on Rager, right? Film. And it's just like, well, damn. Like, but he got drafted in round one. He, he broke out at age 18. Like, this is a smash guy, man. And then the draft capital, that just was icing on the cake. And he's got opportunity in Philadelphia where at that time, I think the the best receiver they had was like Alshon Jeffrey, the tail end of his career. So, you know, it, it's the, the goal of that show is just to talk about players, just to talk about is 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 this guy a, a good football player on on in the on the field? And then I'll try to put a little fantasy spin on it. And like, is this somebody that we could build around or what do you think the projected draft capital is? So um, just a different quick hitting show. It's only about 30 minutes. Uh, Jamie Eisner's on there. Kyle Krabs, Ryan Fowler, different people. But when me and Keith get on there, we're just talking about guys like the next one. We're going to talk a little. We're, we're just going to talk a little QB battle and talk about Malik Willis and some of the things that he's done so far in the preseason. Does that give him as you know, his talent evaluator? Uh, you know, some confidence that that Malik can be a guy in the NFL. And, you know, what? We, how do we use, utilize that in Dynasty? You know, sometimes, man, the NFL, and this, should, this shouldn't be a, a surprise to anybody, but it, it, breaking news here, they get players wrong. They get shit wrong. They, 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 players fall that shouldn't fall, and players get drafted. And, and more so than not, if you really think about it, I have not looked at this. But if you looked at where the NFL was wrong the most, the players that got drafted real high or the players that were drafted low, I bet you there's a, 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 a larger miss rate on the guys that are drafted higher than some of the gems that were found like in the later rounds. They're probably a little better at identifying some of those day three guys than they are damn round one talents half of the time. Um, but maybe it just it, it gives us another brush for our canvas, right? That's what draft good players is. You're not going to listen to that and walk away being like, damn it, I got it. I know exactly what I need to do for my rookie drafts or for my roster, but it's another brush. It's another color out of the crayon box. You can scribble that in and say, all right, well, Keith is all in on this dude. Ray's all in on this dude. All right, check mark. I'll file it away. I'll check in. I'll look at some other stuff when the time comes. But I remember on that draft good players podcast, they talked about Lou Nichols out of central Michigan. They talked about Tucker Craft the tight end from South Dakota state that nobody in the dynasty community even knows who the hell Tucker craft is right now. But come February, when there's buzz that Tucker craft could be a first round tight end, you'll be like, damn, I, I remember hearing about this kid on draft good players. So that's what that podcast is all about. Yeah. I mean, I I've been listening to it. Like I said, from the beginning, man, you guys have done good stuff over there. So I just wanted uh, to give you a chance to let the destination Devi crew know about it. You know, make sure you guys go subscribe to them over there. 
Uh, Draft Good Players is the name of the podcast. You can find it on any of your podcast networks. Just type that in and, and subscribe to those guys. Give them some love over there. And then, um, you know, lastly, I wanted to hear to talk about, you know, real quick here, some college predictions since uh, college is starting up this Saturday. So I just wanted to get a Heisman winner from both of you guys and who's going to be the four playoff teams and who's going to be the champ. So, uh, Ray, go ahead. Start us off, man. Heisman Trophy. Oh, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to go. This is hard because I know he's going to get votes pulled from his own team. He's going to get votes pulled from his team. But ultimately, if you had to make a bet on a position that wins the Heisman Trophy, first of all, you start with quarterback. Like that's just it's just like NFL MVP. If you're just going to put general wholesale view. I saw people last year, Eric and Scott. Talking about Bijan Robinson, I'm putting a hundred bucks on Bijan Robinson. I'm like, you just, you might as well give me the money. Like that's just a wasted, that's a waste of money. It's a waste of money, unless you just go nuclear. You know, you're not, you're not, or the, or the, the pool around you is so horrible. Running backs not winning the Heisman, right? Unless you're got to be on a good team that wins a lot. Like that's just technically you start with the quarter. Just traditionally you start with quarterback. And uh, this player that I'm going to pick, the offense should be, I think it's going to challenge LSU's 2019 record for most points scored. I think it's going to be Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. I I think Stroud is probably my front runner. I don't see Ohio State losing any regular season games this year. Offensively, just their defense isn't as strong, but that just helps the offense's case. There's no running back in college football, in my opinion, more dynamic than Travion Henderson. Uh, uh, People may not like this. I think he's the best running back in college football. If you're asking me one for one, you get to pick B. John Robinson or Travion Henderson. I would take Henderson's skill set over B. John Robinson. They have one of the best receivers in college football in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then they just have a litany of other pass-catching weapons who I believe Marvin Harrison Jr., is better than Chris Olave and has a chance to be better than Garrett Wilson. So CJ Stroud is just going to have an embarrassment of riches uh, to throw to. He's going to put up monster numbers and Ohio state's going to be one of the four final teams for the college football playoff. So if I had to put money on it right now, CJ Stroud would be uh, low hanging fruit, but probably a good money bet to place to win the Heisman trophy. Yeah, I think I'll go with the quarterback too. It's interesting because you know, the LSU offense, really, it was all Burrow, but you couldn't really single out one player that had, you know, 25 touchdowns and 2,000 yards at receiver because I had two guys that were, you know, right there. So I think that's similar with Stroud. So I think you have to eliminate his weapons because he could have, you know, 5,000 yards, but it's spread like 30, 30, 40 across three different guys. And you're going, well, none of his weapons are going to win it. Um, I don't think Bryce Young wins it because you're not going to give it to a no. guy again. So I think it's coming down to, Shroud, Caleb Williams is in there. I'm going to give you my dark horse. I don't think this guy can win it because I don't think his team will be good enough, but I could see a path where you could look up in 12 weeks and this guy's in the mix. Uh, I'll go Hendon Hooker as a sleeper. Well, only because last year, look at his efficiency numbers last year, 31 touchdowns in 300 attempts. Now, is that sustainable? Probably not. But I also think that's an offense that's going to throw it even more this year. So I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if you look up and now this, I think also means that 
Tennessee's got to be better than South Carolina and Kentucky and Florida. Like Tennessee's got to be good. They can't be no seven and five or eight and four. But if Tennessee's like, you know, 10 and two, 11 and one, I could see him. He'd be the one quarterback I'd throw in there that, that you could look up and has one of these, you know, Mac Jones, Burrow S seasons where he's throwing 44 touchdowns and less than six interceptions. And you're going, damn, that guy's been real good. He's not going to put up the volume numbers that Stroud will. Uh, but I could see him being at least invited where nobody's, I think he was like 7,000 to one odds right now to win it. Yeah. So I don't six, even think I'm, he's on the I'm radar. At, People wouldn't even. Yeah. I'm looking at 6,600 right now for Hendon hooker. So, and I there's mean, probably what eight, 10 quarterbacks ahead of him or something like that. Uh, J- JT Daniels, Keaton Slovis, Tyler Van Dyke, Dylan Gabriel. Slovis. Uh, DJ U actually has the sixth best odds to win the Heisman trophy right now. Okay. DJ U and the, 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 the highest or the, the best chance is CJ Stroud at plus 200 Bryce Young at plus 3,500 and Caleb Williams at seven to one. So three quarterbacks at the top of Hendon hooker, 66 to one. So if you put one buck on him, you can win 66 bucks if Hendon Hooker does it. Yeah. If I was betting, I'd probably go CJ Stroud. But if I was really betting and not just trying to, you know, double my money and I want to win a hundred times or more what I, what I spent, I'll throw it down on Hendon Hooker. Can I, can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Can I ask y'all a question? Mm -hmm. The fourth best odds are Will Anderson, uh, 20 to one. Any shot in hell, a defender wins this award. It feels like a year where he may get the token invite, but I mean, how often have we seen that? They don't, they don't ever win. They don't ever win. Yeah. So if we had to bet finalists, I'd say, you know, especially if Alabama is the best team and he's just dominant, I can see him getting there. But I mean, honestly, if he's there with Bryce young, do you really see him winning it over his own quarterback? If Bryce does what he did last year, you know what I mean? Because they're both going to get credit for the team being good. So I just, I don't see it, man. Not this year. The quarterbacks are too good. Okay. Well, I'm going to go a little bit, um, not off the path, but I'm going to go with Travion Henderson. I think he's going to do it. Uh, Man, if he could have a monster, monster year, almost 2,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, something like that, I think think Travion's got a shot at it. So that's who I'm going to go with. And then I'll get your guys' four after this. But I'm going to go OSU, Georgia, Bama, USC um, as my final four. And I think it's going to be Bama and Ohio State in the final with Alabama winning it. So what do you guys got? What you got, Ray? Final four, playoff. Well, you got to – let's do it conferences. Oh, Ohio State should win the Big Ten. They're in. They're, they're, they're going to win it. USC should win the Pac-12. If USC wins the Pac-12, they're in. Two SEC teams getting in. I don't think it's going to happen. Because I know this sounds crazy, but I think Clemson's going to find their way back into the Final Four. Their defense is ridiculous. Their front seven, I'm looking at every mock draft, Jordan Reed, Joe Marino, you're seeing three or four Clemson defenders in the first round of 2023 mocks right now. Their defensive line is ridiculous. Um, Offensively, there are serious question marks. Like, DJU has to get it together, but they play in the ACC. Like, I'm not – I don't know who I'm afraid of in the ACC. You know, Florida State, they're not ready yet. Miami, not happening. North Carolina State, no. North Carolina, no. Clemson should win the ACC. 
this year. Boston College not going to do it. If Clemson wins the ACC, they're getting in the college football playoff. They will get in. They will get a bid. And if they win the ACC and they get the bid, then there's only going to be one team coming out of the SEC. And I think it's going to be Alabama. I think Stetson Bennett and them had a good run last year, but I just I, I, I don't see them. They lost major pieces of that defense that helped propel them. You know, Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, uh, Louis Sign, uh, the safety that they had. They lost everybody defensively. They lost. I know George Pickens wasn't there, but they lost Pickens. They lost Jermaine Burton. I mean, they're just going to be rolling out Stetson Bitten, Bennett and three tight ends. They they could their base formation could be like thirteen personnel where they just got three tight ends on the field and Kendall Milton. I, I don't think they're I don't think they've got enough to beat Bama this year. So I'm going to go Clemson, USC, Ohio State, and Alabama in the in the college football playoff. And they in the and uh, the lines makers or the the playoff committee will make it so that Alabama and Ohio State meet in the national championship. They'll put USC up against Bama, and then they'll put uh, uh, they'll do a rematch of Clemson, Ohio State. They'll they'll give us that one again, and I think it's Ohio State, Alabama in the college football playoff. And unfortunately, I don't know if Alabama's got the defensive horses to keep up with that offense. I'm I'm this offense could be lethal, lethal. I think it could challenge for the most points scored in college football history this season. Yeah, I'm with Ray. I think the uh, the more you look at Georgia, Georgia lost a lot. You mentioned Pickens. You mentioned Burton. Uh, they have good running backs, but losing both Zamir and James Cook, like it's going to be just a little bit of a different team. And I, I think they have – they probably still run the table in the SEC East, but it, SEC East is going to have like four – four or five other good teams that are better than they were last year. So it's not going to be a walk in the park for them. Uh, and I agree. I don't think if they meet Bama again, uh, I, I don't think they get two teams in from last year. Last year, things kind of broke perfectly for them with, you know, Cincinnati being in the mix. A lot of the other teams lost. I mean, you look at remember last year, uh, Oregon beating Ohio state early on in the year. And I think that could be similar. I'm going to, I'm going to put, Instead of a second SEC team, I, I agree with the three teams with Ray. I think I'll go USC, I'll go Alabama, I'll go Ohio State. I think I think Notre Dame's got a shot. I think Notre Dame's got a shot. They're going to lose to Ohio State probably early on, but I can also see that's one of those games where if they don't get smoked, they actually get credit for that loss throughout the year. And they play USC and Clemson in two of their last four games. So, I mean, they're going to have two games at the end of the year against teams both that you have picked to be in the playoff. What if they run the table and win two of the – if they win two of those three games, it's going to be hard to take them out. And how many – I mean, how many How many years has Notre Dame been fifth or sixth? And they're right, right. in the mix and they just fall short because, well, they're not in a conference. You know what I mean? But I think this could be the year where things are going to align right. They should run the table after – losing to Ohio state. Now, if they beat Ohio state, all they got to do is just not get smoked in one of those two games at the end of the year. And they probably still have an argument, but I think they can lose to Ohio state. People will forget about them. They'll drop to, you know, 17th in the polls and then they'll just slowly creep up and creep up and creep up and boom, they're going to have a shot at those two other teams. They're going to be right in the mix. So I'll go Notre Dame as the fourth. And then, uh, you know, they won't make it to the championship. They won't win, but they'll be there. So I'll go them as the fourth. I like it. Um, you know, it's just new coaching staff, new quarterback. 
I just want to see them play, right? I want to see Tyler Buckner play. I want to see how uh, Marcus Freeman is as a coach. I, I like him. I think he's a young, dynamic coach. But to your point, if they can win two of those games, they money talks, man. They'll be in there. That like they'll get in. That Notre Dame. I mean, they've been like fifth or sixth every year. You know, if they can, if they can take down USC or take down Clemson, which as good as USC's offense is going to be this year, the defense is going to be terrible. People are going to be able to score points on that defense. And Lincoln Riley's calling card or his his Achilles heel has been defense. Like he just it doesn't care. He just wants to score points. So I think this. The, the beauty of this college football season is I think there's so much parity this year. There's there's no clear-cut quarterback one. There's no clear-cut team. There's like it's just there's a lot of good teams this year. And I'm I haven't been this excited for college football season in a long time, man. In a long time. Right. And what do you got for um the national championship game and a winner, Scott? Uh, I think if, if it ends up being the, the four that I mentioned, I, I don't see it's too early for Ohio or for USC and Notre Dame to make the championship. I think it'll be set up for Bama, Ohio state again. And, you know, Bryce versus Stroud, this is just, you know, it's Burrow versus Lawrence again, Burrow versus Fields again. It's going to be the same thing, which I mean, ultimately isn't, isn't that, don't we kind of want to see a Bama That's versus Ohio want. State championship? I mean, want. there's there's sure. 15, 15 dynasty relevant, no joke, 15 <laughs> dynasty relevant players in that game, whether they're coming out next year or 2024. I mean, we've been talking about that in the Discord, Ray. Every damn near every Bama skill players and makes the NFL, you know, which and same with Ohio State. I mean, they got backups that are gonna at least be a year from now or two years from now in training camps going, hey, should we pick this guy up? I mean, guys that don't even really play. So, yeah, that's what we want to see. I, I, that's what it's going to be, Bama, Ohio State. And I hate Ohio State, so I really hope it's not them. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So does that mean you're picking Bama to win it then? Oh, man. I He made I me do it, too. Hey, he I, made me I, I do picked, it. I picked Bama, and I'm an Ohio State fan. I picked so. Ohio State. I, I picked just, Ohio State. Yeah, I don't think uh, Ohio State's offensive line is going to be able to handle Will Anderson. That's fair. And, and there's another guy I forget off the top. Dallas of Turner, head. Dallas yeah. Turner, who's going to be a top five dude. pick. Yeah, he's and I will dude. say, if Bama makes it two straight years, I don't see him losing two in a row. Okay, so right. we'll just go. We'll just go with that because they were there last year. They got last year was the first game that they got pushed around by a team in their conference. They got pushed around. The, Georgia had better players, eighty percent of the spots last year, and you're except for quarterback, but like. I don't see them losing another one in a row. So I'll go Bama to win. And it was tough because it went downhill. Isn't it amazing? And and, and it's sort of what you saw Nick Saban do this offseason. What happened in that national championship game that changed the course of that game? Jamison well, they lost, lost JMO and their receivers couldn't get it done for the first time in like ever. You They well, had no receivers. Well, Jermaine, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Mechie was hurt. They yep. lost JMO and then it was just. That was it. They had nobody else. And they had just beaten Georgia in the SEC title game, you know, a month before that. And losing Jamison. And then you saw what Nick Saban did in this offseason. They go get Jermaine Burton. They bring in Tyler Harrell. They're like, we're not we're not doing this again. Like, we need to go get some guys for Bryce. So, I think that's what we want to see. I want to see Stroud versus Young. And there's a good chance that the winner of that ends up being the first quarterback off the board in the NFL draft. 
Yeah, I think so too, for sure. I think, um, man, just seeing, having that big marquee matchup of Stroud versus Youngman, the ratings on that, that might be the highest rated national championship game ever. Yep. Yep. That would be pretty cool to see. But you know what? Everyone's picking also Bama and Ohio State too, and neither of them will be in it. So that's how that's going to end up here at the end. (laughs) And you know what? I think the majority of fans would be happy if it was neither one. And right. I'm the opposite, man. I I don't know how y'all are. I appreciate dominance. Like, yeah. I like to see dominant teams because, well, most people sit back and they're just like, oh, I'm so bored. I appreciate how difficult it is to continue to do that, you know, to stay at the – like, there's a level of appreciation you have to have to, like – and I've listened – if if – Nick Saban has some really good speeches out there about being at the top of the mountain and what it takes to be there and knowing that every week you go out there and play, you got a target on your back. It doesn't matter if you're playing against Nichols State or Clemson. Everybody wants a piece of you, right? Because they know if we beat Bama, let me tell you, I live I lived in Houston for 15 years and uh, my wife's uh, grandmother lives in Mississippi and we travel to Louisiana a whole bunch. But every time you go through Monroe, Louisiana, every time you drive through, and this happened 10 years ago, there's a big-ass billboard that says, we beat Alabama. Like, when Louisiana Monroe beat Alabama, I think it was early in Nick Saban's era, and they put up, like, posters. Like, that's that's a part of them forever. So the, to, to be that dominant, like, people take it for granted, uh, it's just Alabama. You know how hard, like Nick Saban talks about how hard they have to work to get their players ready because even their players become complacent. Like, oh, we're Alabama. We're supposed to be there. I appreciate that level of dominance. And I just like seeing it because it is hard to stay at the top of your game, whether that's in the NFL. Think about just in your day-to-day job. Like we podcast, right? There's so many new content creators coming out. And I'm just like, damn that setup looks better than mine. Like he's like, you know, it's hard to stay at the top when everybody is aiming for you. So bring on Alabama every year. They can make it. I want to watch them because I want to watch the best. I don't want to fucking watch Cincinnati people calling for that last year. Why on? And you saw what happened. They got destroyed by Alabama and you could, Oh, well, they should have opened up the offense and Ritter missed a couple of, they got their asses handed to them. Like that, like I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch Boise State versus. I don't want to see that. This is not NCAA March Madness. Cool football. Give me the best damn team. I'm not trying to see Podunk State University versus Ohio State just for shits and giggles, man. When especially, yeah. you know, me coming from somebody that doesn't like Ohio State, uh, I, I root against them all year just because I kind of want to see the upset and I want to see everyone go crazy because they don't make the playoff. And then I find myself watching the semifinal where it's Michigan State getting their teeth kicked in by somebody, you know? So yeah. then you're like, okay, let's get Ohio State in here. If I'm going to watch, <laughs> you know, an SEC team against somebody, I don't want to see, you know, Michigan, I guess, kind of like last year too. But, you know, but at least they, they put up somewhat of a fight. But yeah, I don't want right. to see the, uh, you know, Iowa fire out an unbe- unbeaten season and then face Georgia in the semis and, you know, lose 38 nothing. So bring Ohio State in, bring Bama in, another SEC team or one of the others. But, yeah, you, you want those two teams, and it's more entertaining that way, period. The, the one that I always remember 
I think it was 2008, maybe, Hawaii and Georgia. I'm like, oh, man, I get to see Colt Brennan fire off missiles against Georgia, and he got his teeth kicked in against an SEC team. So I always remember that one. for Yeah, uh, man, and I was hyped for that one because Colt Brennan, this was long before I was into the dynasty. But I'm like, oh, man, this dude's going to be great in the NFL, man. You see all these passing yards? He had 80,000 passing yards in a season. And I vividly remember sitting down to watch that game, and I was like, they just got destroyed. Was it uh, – didn't they have a receiver, Bess? Was that his last name? Bess? Yeah, Devon Bess. Yep. Devon Bess. Right. And I'm like, oh, man, this he's going to be great in the NFL. And then you go out there, he's getting jammed off the line of scrimmage, and they're just getting destroyed, man, you know? Yep. Yeah, they had a couple um, decent players on that team because I remember playing with them on um, the NCAA PlayStation game. I was always playing with them to trying to mimic all these passing yards and stuff. But yeah, they were. Uh, that was a fun team. But man, once they played Georgia, it was it was a wrap. There was they got the seatbelt put on them for sure. All right, next up, I wanted to bring up um, a little creation that me and Scott made. Um, based off of Ray's idea that he had on one of his wake-up shows. So our USFFL auction leagues. So if nobody knows what it was, the USFL, when they did their drafts, what they did is they did it by position. So round one, everybody had to take a quarterback. Round two, everybody had to take a running back and so forth. So we decided to make a league based off of that. Um with positions. And what we did was we took the 10 positions. So we, we've done two different versions. We've done a lineup league and a best ball version of this, where you got two quarterback rounds, two running back rounds, three wide receiver rounds. Um, we had two tight end rounds in one. And then we also had a one where your wild card draft picks, which would be round 10 uh, was where the snake draft would start. So we'd have the snake draft start in round 10 and we would do that would be your first time you'd be able to select Debbie player. So at the 1001 would be your first time you could select Bijan Robinson. 1002 you could take CJ Stroud or you could take an NFL player that didn't get put up in the auction uh in the position round. So you know the recent one that we just had, Kenny Pickett didn't get put up. So Kenny Pickett was there available. You could have took him at the 1003. So it worked out in different ways. Um so I, I just wanted to ask you guys what you guys thought of the format, um, doing it that way and, and all that. So go ahead, uh, Ray. I'll, I'll let Scott start, but I'll just start by saying this startup style, by far my favorite startup draft like format in order to do it that I've done. Um, the strategy that's required, acquired to, required to like be good at it. I don't even know if we have the right strategy yet. We've only done two of these. And I think as we do more, the strategy will evolve. But uh, I, I really want Scott to, to dive into this a little bit because I think everybody listening to this, once again, they are dedicated route. You can only select certain positions and it's auction style in, in these rounds. It's, it's fascinating. And um, you know, a lot of times you listen to podcasts and, they're telling you pick a direction, and, uh, and and to a certain degree, the more of these auctions I do, you guys, and I know Scott and Eric, you participating in tons of auctions, but it really um, there's no handicap. I feel like when you just do a traditional snake, 
you're bowling with bumpers on because you know that if you're at the one, I can tell you right now, if you're at, if I said, Scott or Eric, you're drafting out of the 103 spot, immediately, you know, your target for round one, you have a good idea who will be there in round two. Like you kind of know based on ADP, like, you know, all right, I'll get one of Mahomes, Herbert, Allen. I know in the second round, I'll be in a good spot to get a Brees Hall. I know in the third round, I can take it. Like, you know, what's going to be there with this. A, you have no clue what position is coming up and B, it's auction. So it's, it's hard to even pick a damn direction. You're just like, I just need to acquire some players and then I'll figure out the direction, uh, you know, in a couple of days. Yeah, I think, I mean, you hit on the biggest point, Ray, is one, there are, uh, the reason I like auctions more than snakes now is because the, especially when you get in the league with 11 other people like you guys and like in the discord, you know, like when you're getting in with sharp people that actually are thinking through, I mean, how many times over the last month have we thought through different strategies and it's a new thing every day. Oh, wow. This came up. I didn't think about that. Oh, this happened in this one. I never thought about that. So I like auctions because it actually creates a lot of separation in the league right away. You do a snake draft and no one trades. It's just, everyone's kind of building like, the same type of team. You might have one person go to the extreme or one person go to the opposite end of the extreme, but you don't end with a lot of separation between the teams here. You look at some of the teams and you're like, man, that guy got a light of great deals or he saved his money for the right round. Then you look at others and you go, what the hell is that team doing? You know, they overspent here. Then they had no money when it actually mattered. And then they missed out here. And so like you see a lot of gap in between some of the teams after you do these. So I like that because it creates people to have to pick directions right away. Uh, the other thing is there's some nuances that made this good. You already mentioned the, the positions. Uh, it's essentially, you don't know what's going to come up, which means where do our brains immediately go? Like day one, what happened in both of these auctions? Everyone was kind of tempered a little bit on how much they're going to spend you don't want to overspend because then if the big rounds come up in a couple, you're going to be the low money stack. But then you don't want to hold all your money to the very end too because there, you can only win two players per round. So you don't want to be stuck with only two players with three rounds left. All the pressure's on you now to just get players. So it kind of works both ways there. And the other thing is you can't, you can't trade the auction dollars either. That's a big thing. I don't even want to – I mean, can you guys even imagine if you could trade auction dollars, how crazy it would be? Like it, you wouldn't want to participate yeah. really. It would kill some of the strategy. I think if you could, you could bail people out by making trades, but you get in some situations where you're like, man, we're in round seven. I'm not sure I can fix this, you know, or I messed this up and I'm looking at the board and I'm not sure I can recover. So I think it's one of those, you just have to do it over and over and over. And I'm sure if you continue to listen to this show, uh, this might be something that, us three continue to try to brand and market and there's uh more of these coming down the line for people if they want to jump in. But yeah, I'm uh when you get what did I tell you the other day, Ray? When you get me saying I'm gonna start quitting my leagues and just <laughs> anytime I quit a league, I add one of these, like that that's a big deal. So I mean I, I'm sold. I'm sold and continuing to build the strategy your, and you gotta get your people in it, Scott. We gotta get some of the dynasty and chill patrons in here versus some some DD patrons for a little USFFL yep. style and get some different minds in there. I think this is the more people that are exposed to this format, right? Like in, in, in once, once you draft, like it's same dynasty rules. Like we're not crazy here, you know, two tight end, 
get premiums and some some bonuses and points per target. But I think the more people that participate in this style, I think that because a lot of people are reluctant to auction because they just don't know. But if you kind of give them like, hey, you only you only get to nominate one and it's a quarterback round. It's a running back round and you just bid on your running back. I think more people might even take a liking to auction. So we've got to, we've got to push this this year. This is our job. We will push this style. Yeah, and if you're hesitant about Devi, it's it's I think the sweet spot number of Devi players where it's not too overwhelming. But you can't completely ignore him either because you have to respect the fact that, you know, every year there's going to be some Devi depletion in the rookie drafts. But I mean, you've talked about it so many times, Ray, like those I guarantee you those first five or six picks in next year's rookie draft, there's going to be three or four guys that squeak through and you go, that's a day one starter. And we we would have laughed if you had taken him in a 36, you know, man, Devi draft the year before. So there is still some value with those picks. So I think that's that's another thing. If you're worried about Devi, don't get scared off just because it's Devi. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're not going to lose to Ray because he's been watching these players forever, and everyone in the league knows the players better than you. It's just a little extra level of game theory. Yeah, and we're allowed to have 36 total Devies in the league at any time. So if 20 Devies get come up to the NFL next year, then in our rookie draft, another 20 can be selected. And then that number can never go above 36. So it's not like a super crazy amount of number, you know, like Scott said. So that I like that portion of it to where the rookie drafts, you know, there still is going to be some good players in there, especially the guys who squeak through and a lot of our back end, you know, running backs. I mean, and our first one that we did, there's like maybe 12 quarterbacks are gone. There's about like eight running backs, eight receivers, couple tight ends, whatever it equals out to, you know, so it's not like a whole position is just completely destroyed. And there's also 2025 rookies, 2024 rookies. So it's spread out as well. So it's not like we're completely destroying the 2023 class with, with everybody in there. So does make, but you can completely destroy your roster because there are no taxis. So if you want to draft all these devies, 25 and 24 devies, they got to sit on your roster and you're, you're getting zeros uh, for the, for, for this foreseeable future until they, until they matriculate to the NFL. Yeah, that was another point I was going to bring up. So there's no taxi squad either. So these guys sit on your active roster until they come up and play in the NFL. So, you know, you got to have to take that into effect too. We've had a couple teams in our leagues. They have like eight or nine Devies. Um, they're going to be in some some trouble. And especially with the playoff format that we have made uh, up as well. So you basically are playing for your draft spot um, for every pick. So the bottom six teams are going to play the the first, the worst team and the second worst team are going to get first round buys uh, for that playoff. But then they got to play, they got to win two games in a row in week 16 and 17 in order to get in, you know, the one one draft pick basically. So they're playing for it. So if you have all these devies on your roster, but you don't have enough firepower to, to actually win some games, you're just going to be the one Oh four draft pick, even though you had the worst team all year. So that's another, you know, big thing that I think we added in that made it more fun and, you know, people can, um, you know, stay active pretty much all year and there's no trade deadline either. So that's another interesting thing for playoff teams and non-playoff teams. Hey, I got to get a win this week to get the one-on-one or I got to, you know, win this week to win the championship. You can go out and still make trades 
as well. So I, we haven't even got into that yet because we haven't, you know, played any of the season. But that's going to be an interesting wrinkle, I think, at the end too. I want to ask both your opinions on this, then we'll talk a little bit about our strategies. But uh, so the first one, we we basically pulled half of the people were from the Destination Debbie Discord, and then the other half were just randoms, right? Like they they weren't in our in our group constantly chatting because we've been talking about this format, you know, every day we're in the, you know, the discord going, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. But then the second one, which we did damn near, everybody was in there chatting about it. So I think we had, we had discussed, I've had discussions with every single person in the league multiple times about strategy. I mean, we're sitting in there. How many times do we go in the, the discord voice chat and nine of the 12 people in the league are sitting in there. You know what I mean? And it's like, we're talking about what's going on. We're talking about people's bids and you know, Hey Ray, you want to screw this person over? Why don't you bump this player up? Like, do do you like the fact that it was like a fully engaged league where kind of no one was afraid to talk about their strategy because it was obvious to a lot of people. Do you think it would be different if, Ray, you just got in one of these leagues with 11 randoms and you never talked a word to the other 11 people in the league. Do you think the startup would feel a little different? I don't, I, I, I don't, I, I enjoy the open nature of what we do, man. There's yeah. something about like, even when we'll sit in there and we'll like, Oh, you sent me an offer. Hey y'all, you want to hear this offer that I just got from Scott? He's offering me this. Let's talk. I, I think part of what we do as analysts, Scott, Eric, me as analysts is we love this game, but we don't record these podcasts for us. Like none of us sit down and go back and re-listen to it and study. Like it's for other people to, to learn and to enjoy. And I think one of the things that I've learned uh, being a creator is the best way to, to really get people to learn the strategies to talk about it and to talk about it in real time as you're doing it. So Yes, there's always a level of hidden strategy that you keep deep down to yourself. You've got a plan. But I I like the fact that we can talk through this. Like, damn, I'm on the clock. What am I doing? What am I doing? Ah, oh, Ray's going to bump this one. If Ray bumps him, that's going to set off this. I love it. I don't think it would be as fun, man, to just sign up and not have some level of... Because there's two different... There's a difference between, like, chatting, like, in the group chat thing and verbally communicating strategy and plan. And I think it it does, I think it screws you over sometimes, right? Um, but I also think it's it's interesting to hear and to, 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 to see it happen in real time, the thought process, the panic, you know? If you reset Eric on Kyler Murray, he's going to panic. He's going to, like, he doesn't want any of these other quarterbacks. Eric doesn't want Mac Jones. Eric doesn't want this one. Like, you you knock him off of Kyler, he's going to panic. Or you take Ray off of Lamar, he's pissed. He really wants Lamar. Like, there's something, there's something, It's you got to be a little crazy to like that. But, you know, maybe it hurts us in the long run. But I enjoy it way more, talking about it openly. Yeah, I think that. That's what I think would be if we end up doing, you know, a dozen more of these leagues, there's going to be some where we're just not going to have that level of access with each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because we can't all get together. And especially when you start opening these up to, you know, people in other groups, people off Twitter, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, there's going to be probably some that I get into where I look at the board and I go, okay, there's six people in here that should be doing this, 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 and this, and they just don't do it. They're not seeing it the same way that, and I think it's because we had a really sharp group. I mean, everybody in the group 
there wasn't really something where you or I were seeing it and nobody else was, you know what I mean? Like there's, if I'm seeing it and you're seeing it, six of the other people in the league are looking at that exact same thing. They know the ripple effect. If I make this decision, they know where it's going to go next. And I don't even have to tell them, you know, it's like, Oh, if I do this, I expect that person to do that. And then damn near five minutes later, they do it. You know what I mean? And I don't know if you'd get that in every league. I blame you. When I see we get to the end and I'm short stacked with 40 bucks and I see people put bids in at 41 just so they know I have no shot at getting a player like that. Doesn't, that but that doesn't happen six months ago. And I don't think that happens no. without the voice chat. I don't think that happens sure. without the voice chat. And I think there were some moves that some people didn't make that they would do it again. And they'd be like, man, if I just bid 15 more, I know I've got this player locked up and I don't have to deal with the reset. There's no way anybody can bump me off of it. I think the more you do these with sharp groups, I think it it's, it's fun, man. It's there. It, this was this one that we just did. I think I don't like it as much because it was way more challenging. It was way more challenging than the other USFL one that we didn't talk. Like we had the we have the group chat, but we didn't talk to each other. And this one was a lot more challenging for me. Um, hence the direction that I ended up picking. And I'm on the clock right now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a selection live. Uh, can I make a selection live on your guys on the show? Oh yeah, do it, do it. So Eric went Damian Pierce, and uh, I was thinking about him, but here I am. I've loaded up on receiver, which is the plan because I look at the scoring format. Um, I'm thinking about Rashad White. Clearly, I'm not trying to win this year. I think I'll put up some points. I'm thinking about Rashad White. And the reason why I'm thinking about Rashad White is I have no running backs. Uh, It's Ramondre. I've got Travion Henderson and Jameer Gibbs coming next year, but I have nobody else. And I want a pass-catching running back. What do you think about Rashad White in this format? Would this be a bad pick or a good pick right here? I, Just, I like. I don't, don't want to dominate the show. I know people don't want to hear this shit, but <laughs> would this be a bad pick or right here or a good pick to to grab a Rashad White? I like it. He was he was definitely one of the ones I was considering uh, with Damian Pierce there. I just happened to scroll down a little bit and said, oh, Damian Pierce is still there. So I went with Pierce just because I, I honestly don't have too much of him in Dynasty. I have a lot of Rashad White, so that's kind of why I passed up on him. But no, I think that's a good one. Rashad White, he's young, you know, pass catching running back, one injury away from becoming the starter on one of the best offenses in the league. And I like his talent so far. We've watched him in preseason, man. He's looked good. Um, he had one bad fumble that kind of wasn't his fault. But other than that, man, Rashad White's looked good. Uh, I, That's who I would have taken if I didn't take Damian Pierce for sure. Yeah, I think, Ray, it's uh, me and best ball. I, I'm all about, you know, I'm all about get as any running back that's living and breathing. But yeah. I think in best ball, you do have to concentrate on getting a – you don't necessarily need a bunch of high-end running backs, but you need to concentrate on getting the top 50, top 60 guys that are going to have a role, even if they're the 35 in a 65-35 committee. You want that over, you know, I go down 30 spots and we get down to, you know, the Hassan Haskins or Sony Michels. Like, the, I love those guys for lineup leagues because I can park them on my bench they get one game where it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to get 15 carries. They're in my lineup. Best ball, I don't want Hassan Haskins having, you know, 
12 games where he gets three touches or less. You know, I, like, I don't want that in best ball. So I'm more apt to take shots on, you know, these running backs that are, you know, the Chase Edmonds, Kareem Hunt, Tony Pollard. Like you, you string together four or five of those guys in best ball. You can have the best running back room in the league just based on that. So my only pushback, Ray, it's a point per carry league. Tank Bigsby still on the board. Would you consider him over Rashad White with your build just for the upside? I'm nervous about Tank, man. I'm just, I'm nervous. Okay. I'm nervous. If I'm going to take a Debbie, I'm taking the ones that I have true conviction on that they're going to get the requisite draft capital to matter. And I think Tank Bigsby is on that Zamir White day three path, man. I just, I, I'm, 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 I'm just a little concerned and they've got another talented running back back there at Auburn this year, along with tank Bigsby. I don't know how that offense is going to be. And he's clearly, I've already got two, right? Like I know I've got to hold these guys. I probably won't go over three or four Devies. Like I just, I won't do it. I just don't want to carry that many. I've got two right now that I feel really good about. And the, the only reason I wouldn't take another 23 one Scott is because I have one. I've got Gibbs. Right. And in this format, I don't I don't really care about having like 20 running backs in this one. I want to flood the best ball streets with those spike week wide receivers. Uh, I got Henderson coming. I got Gibbs coming. I got Ramondre. You get another guy from 2022. I got like a guy from every class. I got a 2021 guy, a 2022 guy, 23 and 24. So my running back room will be populated over the next four years. I know that. And I sort of intentionally built it that way to where if I walk out of here with the Michael Carters of the world, the, you know what I mean? Those kind of running backs. I know I've got a talented one coming in at least for the next couple of years. Yeah. That's something to think about because we're in that range right now where it's Rashad white, Damian Pierce, Isaiah Spiller, Yep. And what 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 the group or the audience just heard you say was don't be shocked if the, that's right where Tank Bigsby and Sean Tucker end up next year, you know, yep. round four picks and you're going, okay, they're going to make the NFL, they're going to have a role, but if you can get the guy that was a third or fourth round pick on your team right now, why not? They're going to basically be the right. same type of like exactly. you're just basically saying don't bank on Tank Bigsby being Javante Williams. He's probably much more likely to be Brian Robinson or Damian Pierce, then he's going to get second round draft capital. So that's a good Correct. nugget for people, I think. Right. Correct. And like, I'm, it's if they're the same guy, I might as well get the guy that's already in the league now that next year could be the starter, you know, or could have an increased role instead of re rolling for the same kind of guy in the same situation next year and just prolonging it. Right. Well, you have an injury I mean, away guy with Rashad White. He's an injury away from you being able to flip for a, a real running back next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. You find the right yeah. team and you go, okay, I couldn't have taken, I know you already have Jameer Gibbs, but I, I couldn't have gotten Jameer Gibbs here. But if the team that's holding Jameer Gibbs wants a running back during the year and I have yep. a Rashad White that's going to start for the next 12 games, then you yep. make the flip and you color up. Instead of, you take Tank Bigsby, he's basically just parked on your bench and you're, you're pretty sure he's going to get drafted and he's going to be on yes. a roster, but yes. you're not confident he accelerates past that level. And that's the range we're at in the NFL. So I get the theory behind the pick. I made it. So we made it. I mean, I just took Zach Evans too. Do you think Zach Evans is above Bigsby and Tucker? And yes. Those guys? Yes. Right, cool. yes. I didn't have yes. any Evans in any of my leagues. So I figured well, why the hell not? I'll take 
you know, one share. Yes, I think he. I so think would you have gone little... Evans over uh, Rashad White, Ray, or still same theory? Same theory still, because I still don't think Evans is much more Javonta Williams than Tank Bigsby. Like, I don't think Evans walks into a starting NFL role, but I think he gets on the field early. Is I think he gets on early, and you see it that rookie year, and you're like, all right, next year he's going to be a dude, right? I, I think there's there's probably only like two running backs that I think are are locked and loaded day one massive contributors at, at, right now. And a lot still can change, but I think that's Bijan and Gibbs. But I think Evans is that guy that gets drafted and there's a veteran running back. Let's, let's just have fun here, right? Let's say Dallas, they let Tony Pollard go or something happens with Pollard. They don't resign Pollard. And Dallas drafts, drafts Zach Evans like in the third round next year, the late second. You know he's not going to start over Zeke next year, right? You know that's not going to happen. But he's probably going to play well enough that you know he's going to be the guy after after Zeke's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes total sense from you know from that perspective as well. Um, so the last thing I wanted to bring up here um, is the 2022 rookies so far and how they're doing in preseason and kind of have our thoughts changed on them at all? Do we value them more? Do we value them less? So I had I wrote down a couple names here that I wanted to talk about. First one is one of the guys that Ray really liked. You know, he was touting for a couple of years now, and that was Traylon Burks. So what do you think of Traylon so far, what you've seen from him in the preseason, Ray? Man, we haven't seen anything. I don't think he's caught a pass in the preseason or he's caught a couple of bubble screens, but I, I, I'm still in. I mean, nothing has changed for me. The profile's still there, and I'm confident that once he gets an opportunity to play, he's going to do what he did at Arkansas. I think he's going to smash. I really do. Like, I, he just screams one of these guys that everyone's going to fade, and then week one, when he goes out there and has two touchdowns, people are like, oh, man, I should have – I, I got to go buy Burks. Like, I'm not I'm not panicked on, on anything that's happened. During, he's out there catching passes from Malik Willis and whoever the hell else. Like, I'm not, I'm not worried about Burks, but – um, I think Matt Kelly said it best. It's going to be this. It's going to be a roller coaster with Traylon from from the public perception. And I, I do think his landing spot, I don't know. It's weird. Like, Vrabel, that y'all did this. Yeah, well, first of all, let, let's, let's be clear here. From an NFL perspective, Mike Vrabel did not trade A.J. Brown. The GM and the owner signed off on trading A.J. Brown, right? So... Who knows if behind the scenes Vrabel even wanted that shit to happen in the first place, right? Like, we don't really know if if he was like, I want A.J. Brown gone. Don't pay A.J. Brown. Like, it feels kind of like Vrabel really didn't want Traylon, but when they made that move, you got you got to replace him with somebody, man. The, the Vrabel is what's more concerning than Traylon Burks because – I think more players are destroyed by coaching than they are helped, man. You know, and if he's not doing what Vrabel wants or likes to the degree that Vrabel wants it, I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, I'm guessing that if you ask Mike Vrabel behind the scenes and he didn't have to answer to his GM and the owner, did you want A.J. Brown gone? He's probably like, no, because he's a damn good player. You know what I mean? But he also understands it's a business with a salary cap and they had reasons why they wanted to trade him. Now I, it's interesting because this was such a bad class 
to begin with, and it hasn't really been helped from a dynasty value perspective. There's been a couple guys that have rose. Uh, but someone saw I saw a rookie draft today. Someone had their rookie draft. They took Damian Pierce at the 104. And my first reaction is, oh my God, that's horrible. But then you kind of go through it, and I'm like, if we're one week away from the season and someone sends me, you know, Christian Watson for Damian Pierce or Kenny Pickett for Damian Pierce or even, you know, I would take Jahan Dotson, but like there's there's less than probably 12 players I would say I'd rather have on a roster right now than Damian Pierce because I could probably trade him after week one, week two for whatever receiver went out there and didn't play or, you know, you think it's bad with Traylon now. Wait till Eric and I are doing the first week recap show when we're going, oh, Traylon played 18 snaps, one target. You know what I mean? Nick Westbrook, Akeen, 10 targets. Kyle Phillips, another rookie on the field, 87% of the snaps. Like Damian Pierce, 100 yards and a touchdown. You don't think there's going to be some, okay, I want Damian Pierce. I'll give yep. you Traylon. You know, I mean, so I, I laughed, but then I look at like, there's going to be a window of time to where if Sky Moore is the number five receiver to start the year, if we look up and first week was what Ray's talking about, the the Steelers offense is horrible. You think people are going to be throwing around 23 first for George Pickens after one game? If the Steelers look like the worst team in the league. So we're close enough to, to the season now where I think you can go a little more rogue in rookie drafts yet. Shit, all my rookie drafts have been done for three months. So I can't take advantage of this. Oh, I had that 204. I can probably now get, you know, I can get Christian Watson in the third round. And it's a, you know, a, a top 35 pick and no one even wants him. So I don't have the ability to take advantage of that. But yeah, I think it's overreaction, but I get it because we're so close to the season. People are looking like one track mind at this point. Yeah, with Burks, man, he was the one, one of the guys along with Christian Watson that I was a little just wary of because of all the stuff, man, he might be lazy. He's, he's out of shape, always out of shape, all this stuff. Like there's that, all that narrative where I'm like, okay, it's probably mostly bullshit. I've seen him play. He looks fine, but man, it keeps creeping up again. It's creeping up again. And I'm like, man, can I really afford, is this guy really going to be a bust? So that's always been in the back of my mind with him. Ray, how do you decipher the, kind of the maybe tough love stuff with Mike Vrabel going like this guy needs some refinement, but we're truly all in on him. Kind of like what we saw with like Ayuk in his second year. You know what I mean? Clearly they love Ayuk, but something happened last year. We're like, we need to get this guy rounded into shape. But where do you kind of draw the line with that between what you said about, oh, well maybe Vrabel really isn't feeling the Burke pick, you know, deep down. Or it could be, I know Burks is a stud and I, we just I need to get him. Where, where, the, how do you decipher the, the line between the two? Because I think that's probably the key to where his value goes. I, and it's hard because we don't have that information. But I, I always remember my coaches saying, when I'm riding your ass and I'm dogging you out, it's because I see more in you than you see in yourself, right? Yeah. When the coach is on your ass, it's because they care and they see it. It's whenever they stop talking about you and they don't yell and they just let you be lazy, that's when you got to worry. Traylon admitted that he came into minicamp and he wasn't in the best shape. I mean, he had a full five-minute interview where he said, you know, uh, after we got drafted, like after the season, like, I mean, you could look at him and tell. I went on wake up and say, I mean, you look at him at the combine, I'm like, all right, I don't care how 
much girth that you have. If you had three months to prepare for the combine, you shouldn't look like that as a receiver. Like you shouldn't, you should look a little better, more put together than that. And he went out there at that mini camp and I made a joke about it, but I'm like, when he was walking off the field, I was like, yeah, he had to go throw up. He had to, he probably had to puke his brains out because he wasn't ready. And he came back from mini camp at the start of training camp. And he said, I was not in shape. I lost seven pounds. Like the fact that you, first of all, I give him credit for being, looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I got to get my shit together. Right. Like I, there's, there's something to that, but also, yeah, man, like there, there's a reason why people panic. There's a reason why you should be a little hesitant. I, I'm not, there's no way we can go to bust yet. There's no way. I mean, there's a bunch of players who are probably out of shape when they, look at Leonard Fournette, the picture of him when he came in and he looked like he was just eating biscuits before practice. And you see him now. And this is what happens, man. They, they could cut that weight so easily because that's their job. So uh, I, I think there, I think there is some tough love. And if I'm Vrabel, I would be disappointed in my first round rookie. You coming in out of shape. Come on, man. Like we, we traded AJ, you know, the same things that we know we're talking about on this pod. Traylon knows it. They traded AJ Brown and drafted you. They, they didn't draft you to be the number three behind Kyle Phillips. They probably didn't even draft you to be the number two behind Robert Woods. They drafted you to be a dude and you showed up to your job unprepared. Like I'd be disappointed as well. I'd be pissed off as well, but it, it, I'm not, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to panic on him. I mean, uh, for what? Like panic to do what? What are you trade? What are you getting for Traylon right now? Want to want to? You know, like I just—he should have been better. But I still believe in the talent, and quite frankly, there's an opportunity galore in that offense as well. Still, yeah. I mean, I had one trade uh, right around when training camp was starting up. Somebody wanted my Gabe Davis for Traylon, and that was a smash for me. I was taking Traylon, but now I look back, I'm like, man, that I might not win that trade this year. I might lose out on it. So hopefully, I can win it in the long term, and Traylon turns it around and becomes uh, the player we all think he's going to be. But if not, man, I could have really lost my ass on that trade. Uh, next guy I wanted to bring up, though, Damian Pierce. We talked about him here a little bit ago. What have you seen from Damian so far, Ray? Uh, looks good. Start running back when you don't play in preseason and they hold you out. That means you're probably, you're probably the guy. So, um, he showed exactly what I saw on film. I believe in my film grades, I had him as a top 10 running back in the class. I thought he just was underutilized at Florida, but, uh, he's looking good and I'm excited for Pierce, at least for this season. I don't know about long-term Eric, but you know, I don't care about 10 years. The next two years, can 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 I get production for Damian Pierce for two years? I think you could. I think that's a solid bet. That two years, even they're not drafting a running back in the in the first round next year. I highly doubt that. Like I just maybe they got two picks, but I doubt it. Right? They're going to probably take a quarterback and maybe a defender. Um, if I told you right now, Eric, you're getting two years of production from Damian Pierce, like you'll take it, right? And then after that, you don't even care, do you? No, not at all, man. If he can give me that, I'll be happy with that for sure. And I mean, it's I'm hoping the Texans become a better team too. And, and with that, he'll, you know, get some better stats in that. But like right now, um, yeah, it's going to be tough for him. I'm not tough, but I mean, tough to, you know, try and get what you what you want for him. If I can get a first for him right now because he's starting, I'm, yes. I'm going to go ahead and just sell him. 
Yes. But, you know, to yes. just get like a, another second back for him, I'm like, yeah, eh, I might as well just hold on to him for now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trading him for what it cost me to acquire him. Like, he was a second round pick. Maybe you got him in the third, but once he's named the starter and he gets your 100 yards and somebody sends you a 23 first for him, fucking smash your phone, break it, and, and press accept, you know? Right, right. All right, well, that is going to be it for this week's episode. Ray, I appreciate you joining us, man. It's been uh, an honor having you as our first guest. I always wanted you to be our first guest. Um, so I was excited to, to get you on finally here. We can finally do this. Uh, but, yeah, man, go ahead and plug your stuff for us. I'm not plugging anything. I'm plugging this show. If y'all are listening to this uh, for the first time, if you're listening for a long time, make sure you subscribe and then rate and review, man. Um, uh, Eric and these guys get bonuses when you give reviews on uh, on iTunes, man. So uh, please, please, please rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you listen to. Um, follow both of these guys and, and come join the Patreon. If you want to have these chats, Eric and Scott can tell you we're in there all day, every day, talking dynasty, strategy, fantasy football, uh, patreon.com forward slash all gas. Uh, join the movement. We're doing some really cool stuff over there. But more importantly, uh, thank you, Eric, for hosting this. You're doing a great job with this podcast as, as, as well as Scott. So everybody out there, make sure you rate and review and make sure you talk about how good Eric and Scott are so they can uh, so they get some bonuses around here. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, right? Thank you, man. And and make sure you guys check out Ray's new podcast, Draft Good Players with the TDN crew as well. That's been a good listen. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. I am at Eric Vanek, uh, NFL on Twitter. You guys can follow me there. You can follow the show at America's Game Pod on Twitter as well. And lastly, make sure you guys sign up for that newsletter that we do every Friday. It comes to your inbox. It's allgas.beehive. B-E-E-H-I-I-V dot com slash subscribe. Uh, put your email in there. And every Friday, you're going to get a bunch of great content from all the Destination Debbie creators. Ray's in there. I'm in there. Gene and Ike, Mike and Adam, all those guys are in there. So guys, make sure you guys check that out as well. But for next uh, next week, we're going to get into, you know, some probably some final preseason talk. The uh, final cuts will be coming out, so we'll talk about the rosters, what these 53-man rosters are looking like, who got cut, who got signed somewhere else. So we'll be talking a lot about that next week, though. But until then, we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.